just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. You would think the NBA leaving town cooled things off a little in the city, but nope, plenty of news around here. We're not lawyers, but lead producer Emily Means and I are here to make sense of it all. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, Emily Means. Good morning, Ali Vallarta. Good morning, boss. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. We got a lot of legal news this week. Yeah. We're going to do our best with it. We'll do our best. Let's start with a little legislative so-and-so. How's that sound? Sure. Does that sound I'm good? I'm bracing. <laughs> you know what? You don't have to brace that hard, Allie. This is some pretty good news. Yeah. And it is actually kind of related to what we talked about on the show this week. We had on midwife Jalan Fall to talk about maternal health care. Mm-hmm. And one of her wishes was for Medicaid to cover doula care. And guess what? The legislature is moving a bill forward that would do just that. Oh, Isn't that nice? We love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, we love healthcare. For, We're big fans of healthcare over here. <laughs> big fans of healthcare access. For anyone who doesn't know, a doula is someone who supports a pregnant person during labor and also after they give birth. So they're really there for you know that parent. And uh, there are two Democrats sponsoring this bill: Senator Luz Escamilla, who's the uh, Senate Minority Leader. And also Representative Rosemary Lesser, who is a doctor. And guess what? It unanimously passed the Senate. Cool, wow. right? Yeah, that is cool. We love to see that. That almost never happens with uh, Democratic-sponsored bills. The writing was probably on the wall for this a little bit because Governor Cox declared this month of February Maternal Mental Health Month, which, I mean— it's Black History Month is actually what it is, but okay. <laughs> but we love maternal mental health too. Um, but uh, there was an article in KSL that 43% of Utah moms who had recently given birth were affected by depression and anxiety, whether that was like full postpartum or just somewhere on the spectrum. So yeah, we've learned so much about doulas on this show because friend of the show, Ashley Finley, who appears often, is a doula and she's always schooling us on how all-encompassing that is. Like she, yeah. she. I remember one time told us that she sometimes sees her clients until their kids are as old as like two. Oh my God. Just like come over, like come over, I'll make you a meal, I'll clean, like just showing support for motherhood in all its forms. That's really cool. And so like doulas almost, I would argue from the sounds of it, like it's almost a form of early childhood education, right? Because it's like, this is someone who's like in this baby's life during these like really formative moments, not just for the mother, but also for the child. So yeah, this is the kind of stuff we love to see. 
Yeah, more of this legislature. Also, uh, I know that, you know, you mentioned this is also Black History Month or first and foremost Black History Month. But I'll just mention that Jalan Fall, the midwife we had on the show, mentioned some stats, which is that Black women are disproportionately affected by uh, maternal mental health issues. I guess I'm just happy to see this from the legislature. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is? This is family forward. Yeah, we'd like to see more family forward legislation. Exactly. Lawmakers. But like often it feels like the legislative priorities do not match the goal of being family forward. And this is an instance where it does. And that's really exciting. Yeah, for sure. Let's get into two big kind of legal stories this week that I want us to talk about pretty briefly because there isn't a ton to say, but I think it's important that we're all paying attention. And the first relates to the um, death of University of Utah international student Jifan Dong, which we actually did a show about the circumstances that led to Jifan's death with Salt Lake Tribune reporter Courtney Tanner, who was just always covering it seems like horrors at the U and an, just an in incredible reporter, but she really takes the U to task on a lot of this stuff. So we'll link that in the show notes if you want a little bit more background on this lawsuit and this story. But basically, the University of Utah has agreed to pay Jifan Dong's family $5 million. And that is because she and her roommates raised all the flags with the U of U housing staff and others on campus that she was not safe, that she was in a violent, intimate partner relationship, that her boyfriend had hit her, and then she was found dead weeks later in a motel room in downtown Salt Lake. And yeah, a young woman that did not need to die, should not have died, and probably could have been saved but wasn't is really the story. It was really tragic and very reminiscent of other tragedies that have happened at the U. You know, some folks may not have even been here when this happened, but student athlete Lauren McCluskey was also killed at the U by a former intimate partner um, after having raised red flag after red flag to the university police department. And Ali, I just I, I was really curious, couldn't remember how much the you had paid out in the McCluskey settlement. That was $13.5 million. Dollars. Maybe that's all I'll say about that. $5 million does not bring back someone's child. And I think it is a lot easier for a massive institution to write a big check than make the necessary structural changes to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is important that we continue to talk about these stories and these young women's stories. It's important that they stay in the news. It's important that every time there is an update that we mention it because like that is part of the process. But this story, a $5 million settlement is not what we are all looking for, right? Like this is not what right. we would like to see. What we would like to see is the U making the necessary changes to make sure that it never happens again. And to be clear, like this is not terribly ambiguous. Like the U did audit its own communication procedures and that report was pretty clear. Like it outlined very specifically the ways in which this all fell apart. 
So recommendations have been made, right? And there are student organizations, there are tons of people who are deeply invested in the safety of women on that campus. I mean, we've seen people step down, we've heard a lot of statements, we've seen checks written, we would like to see actual institutional changes. Yeah. It'd be great to never see another check written out to the family of a slain university student. That would be great. Let's move on to the next $5 million settlement. So this story I'm kind of obsessed with. The LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is being fined also $5 million by the SEC, which is the Security and Exchange Commission. The feds. We'll just call them the feds. The feds. The feds are fining the church for basically hiding some of its wealth. (laughs) They created these shell companies that hid their holdings from the public. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints wealth is estimated to exceed $100 billion. So what I think is so interesting about this story is that First of all, let's do a little math here. (laughs) Can we? No. (laughs) Uh, We're not lawyers. We're not mathematicians. (laughs) The church has been fined $5 million on its more than $100 billion wealth. That is 0.005% of their wealth. That is like if I owed you $100 and I gave you (laughs) half of a penny. And you were like, well, that seems fair. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Nice gesture. Someone pointed out on Twitter that they will make back this $5 million in six hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) Oh, that's nuts. That is nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I want to know why you're so interested in this story, Allie. We don't often talk about uh, what going on with the LDS church on this podcast like it's a global specific reasons the headquarters are of course located here in our city but we don't talk about it often what what is it about this story that interests you so much dialing it back to before we found out that the the church was going to have to pay this five million dollars what happened is that the news broke that the SEC the Security Exchange Commission was investigating the church right that was the first headline we got And when that story broke, it was national news. And God help me, I feel like every Salt Laker got sent that story. Maybe not. (laughs) But like the number of people who sent me that story and were like, Did you see this? Oh my God, it's happening. The SEC's investigating the church. They're about to get it. They're going to get it. You know what I mean? And like, So we get that story, and then everyone gets hyped, right? And then we get the follow-up, which is they are being fined 0.005% of their wealth. They will make it back in six hours. They don't even need to blink over it, right? And again, I'm not a member of the church, so perhaps the ripple effect, I'm sure like the ripple effect of just being in the news in this way is devastating, if not infuriating for many members. Of course, we remember the Huntsman lawsuit when the brother of former Governor John Huntsman is like currently suing the church for his tithing back. The money that he'd paid to the church is sort of his personal donation because he thinks they're using it to make investments and not for community care. And so whatever, like there are there is a ripple effect. But nonetheless, I would not call this a consequence, right? 
when you are a massive institution that also is tax exempt. So what I think is interesting about this story is that I would call this the toxic cycle of insufficient consequences. Is that our headline for this episode? (laughs) Yeah, in this essay, I will. Because I think we go through this a lot as regular schmegular people that are engaging with news, right? Like you get a story, you're like, this is it, this is the big one. Something is gonna come to pass. There's gonna be some sort of justice. Some, it's gonna feel right in the end. I'm gonna buy into this story because I just know it's gonna feel right in the end. And then guess what? It never does. And I do think that that is a, a contributor to news fatigue in this country. Yeah. So yeah. The toxic cycle of insufficient consequences. Put it on my tombstone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it can't be understated how powerful and influential the church is in this state. And so, yeah, like, they want to see some consequences for their bad action. They own half the city. I mean, it's like inextricably linked from the legislature. What is it? Like 90% of members of the legislature are members of the church as well. So you just want to see a little, you want a little justice. You want a little justice. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLCLivingTrad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College. And it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Okay, there is another story that happened in the city this week that I want us to discuss a little bit, Emily, which is the Silverado fire aftermath. 
It feels like this fire just happened, but it was actually last May 30th. Yeah. What? Right. Well, and the building, still there. Still charred. Yeah, just a a gruesome reminder. But maybe an important one. So for anyone who missed it or misremembers or wasn't in Salt Lake at the time, on May 30th of last year, a residential building on 3rd East caught fire. It is sits right across from Gorman Days, if you're looking to place yourself. Oh, right next to the uh, liquor store. Oh, right next to the liquor store. And the reason that this fire happened is because a tenant who used an oxygen tank and often apparently smoked cigarettes in the building on this very night, lit a cigarette, it caused an explosion. It was roughly two o'clock in the morning when the fire started. So of course, a lot of people were in bed. That tenant died. And his neighbor on the third floor, whose name was David Richards, he was 60 years old at the time, he also died from burns. He was ultimately made it out of the building, but died days later from the consequences of his severe burns. And this was just an awful, awful night. And a lot of people are still reeling from this tragedy. And I have to say, Emily, like, this story really rocks me because I one time lost all of my possessions in an apartment fire. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you know that, but yeah. I did. And it's just a just it's a nightmare horrifying. scenario. And um, the update on this story now is that two of the tenants are suing the property management company and saying, look, we've got these receipts. As far back as 2020, people were emailing you to say, someone in our building who uses an oxygen tank is smoking cigarettes next to it. It is quote, a huge safety concern. I'm really bothered that he's putting the lives of everyone else in the building at risk, including several children. I hope there's something you can do about it. End quote. No action was taken. When you get an email like that as a property manager, this is something that you would think they would jump to immediate action on, right? Because obviously it puts the lives of your tenants at risk. It also Mm -hmm. puts your property at risk, Right. right? So... I hate to make that money case, but seems like something you wouldn't you would want to address. Um, I'm really interested that these tenants are suing the property management companies because, Allie, tenants don't have a good record of winning against landlords in court no. here in this state. Mm-mm. And that's by design. I don't know if you ever read any of the incredible stories by uh, Eric Peterson from the Investigative Journalism Project. He did a series of stories on Kurt Cullimore's evictions law firm and the imbalance of power between tenants and landlords in this state. And Kirk A. Cullimore runs the number one eviction law firm in Utah. Also, side note, the father of Republican Senator Kirk Cullimore, who is in leadership in the state legislature. But anyway, Kirk Cullimore Sr. was quoted in one of Eric Peterson's stories saying, I wrote the laws. Of course they favor landlords. Like, he put it all out there on the table. He said the so, quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah. So just the fact that these tenants are even trying it, pretty bold. I don't know yeah. how successful they'll be, but it's kind of a power move. I mean, they've already lost everything, right? They have nothing to lose. I do think there is a groundswell of fury around tenants' rights in this city right now. 
And I would say a bit of that has been heralded by Wasatch Tenants United, which is a group that's organizing tenant unions in Salt Lake. And if you're not familiar with their work, you can check them out on Instagram. But they're kind of going from building to building and mm-hmm. like trying to figure out knocking how to Knocking on doors. Knocking on doors, organizing tenant unions. They're also collecting like um, records of complaints from different buildings and different property management companies. And I think, you know, we can think of that, of course, as being... I don't know. You you can think of that however you want, but then you read the story and you're like, well, maybe if Wasatch Tenants United had a record of these complaints, it would have pushed for more action a little bit earlier, right? I mean, the thing that is also just so crazy is like this complaint that was submitted via email about this man who was smoking cigarettes next to his oxygen tank. That is a violation of his lease and grounds for eviction, right? It's not just sort of like a suspicion. It is actually a violation of the leasing grounds for eviction. And we know when property management companies or landlords want to evict people in this state, they do. Right? They can do it really quickly, too. And it's real easy to get it done for the exact reason that you mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, this is just it's devastating, but it will be interesting to watch this lawsuit. And perhaps it could set a bit of a precedent in our city, depending on how it moves forward. One last thought on this is that there is a GoFundMe, the Silverado Relief Fund, which is raising money for tenants who have lost everything or something or quite a bit or the families of people that have lost lives in this fire. They're on Instagram at Silverado Relief Fund and also you can email them Silverado Relief Fund at gmail.com if you want to contribute. As of right now, they've raised a little under $4,000, but their goal is quite a bit higher than that. So, you know, maybe make a donation. Okay, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the snow this week. Lots of snow. It dumped. Dumped! Just... First of all, I need you to know how many people texted me reminding me not to drive. (laughs) Well, there's good reason for that, Allie. You're from Florida, okay? I'm also a terrible driver, so... But yeah, I mean, I love getting my snow news from two different gentlemen of Twitter. One is the Wasatch Snow Report, and then the other is Jim Steenberg, a.k.a. Professor Professor Powder. Professor Powder. Yes. So that's where I get my snow news. And this from Alta, quote, this 22-inch storm has bumped up our season-to-date snowfall to 528 inches, the snowiest October through February stretch in the 43-year history of the Collins study plot. Snowy-ass winter. (laughs) Snowy-ass winter. When I hear that number up at Alta, it kind of reminds me of the fear I have thinking about space <laughs> or oh, or yeah. the ocean and how deep it is. Like, that's way too much snow. I mean, I guess it's good and we need the moisture. The thing about all the snow that I'm obsessed with is that Jacob Scholl at the Salt Lake Tribune dug into the State Street flood of 1983. Before my time. Because this snowpack is very similar to the snowpack in 1983 when we had so much much snow and it melted so quickly in the spring that State Street turned into a river. And just for a second, let's place ourselves in 1983 in Salt Lake City. What was going on in Salt Lake City in 1983? Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson's dad, Ted Wilson, was mayor. We didn't have a county council. We had a county commission. We didn't have Little Dell Reservoir at all. So things were just, the water was just flying off the mountain. (laughs) Irene Cara's What a Feeling was blasting on the radio, one of my favorite (laughs) songs to run to of all time. 
I, I would have been thriving. <laughs> but the question that the Salt Lake Tribune asked is like, what if this happens again, basically? Like, what if we have massive flooding again? And could it? The answer is it's unlikely because we now have better infrastructure, things like Little Dell Reservoir. And this is the absolutely most B-A-N-A-N-A-S part of the story. The Great Salt Lake is low. Oh. So there is somewhere for the water to go. I seem to recall, you know, not that I was around at that time, but you were a mere mere wish and a dream. I I wasn't even my you know, my mom was probably like uh, 17 years old at the time or something. Anyway, I seem to recall the lake flooded I-80. Yeah. In the 1980s, a flooding Great Salt Lake threatened transportation industry and the economy in Utah. So what I'm hearing is this isn't happening again. Neither of these stories are happening anytime soon. Nope. The only thing that's still happening is that I'm still listening to Total Eclipse of the Heart. Who's not? That is a banger. But I will say Salt Lake City is like, we're not saying it couldn't happen. We're not saying it absolutely couldn't happen. So we are filling sandbags. And if you want some sandbags, there's a limit of 10 per family. Head on down to Salt Lake City Utilities or Google it. Sandbags. Get your sandbags. The one thing I will say, so the photos, which we'll link in the show notes, the photos of this flood are incredible. There's one really, really good super 80s one that's like this businessman with the giant glasses and he's in a suit and he's holding a trout that apparently he fished out of the State Street River with his bare hands. (laughs) That was so that's I, the first hinge photo, the first uh, oh hinge my God, fish yes. photo to, in existence. That was the first <laughs> dating app fish photo ever recorded in history. <laughs> I put that photo on my Instagram story because I was obsessed with it. And the number of people who responded that were like born and raised Salt Lakers who were like, my parents never stopped talking about this. Oh, my God. So... This is a Salt Lake event that people's parents are obsessed with. And in fact, when the snow started coming down this week, someone sent me a screenshot of a conversation with their dad. And their dad was like, reminds me of 1983. (laughs) You know what? This is their like windstorm. For us, Mm -hmm. it's the 2020 windstorm, right? Like we're always going to talk about that damn windstorm and all the trees that got knocked over and how it knocked out the power for weeks. But our parents, they got the flood, the State Street flood. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Okay, wait, I want to know, listeners, what Salt Lake events are your parents obsessed with? Will you call us? 801-203-0137 or you can DM us or email us saltlake at citycast.fm. If you're listening and you're like, my parents are obsessed with the... we I want to hear about it because I'm now obsessed with this idea. Okay, Emily Means, what are you doing this weekend? Okay, me, I am going to sleep. <laughs> but okay. if I owned a home, I would be shoveling my sidewalk. And I would like to encourage everyone who is a property owner to shovel their sidewalk. It's actually a city ordinance. You're required to do it within 24 hours after a storm. Looks pretty clear out there to me. So let's get shoveling, folks. What are you doing, Allie? There are two things that are on my agenda that I'm excited about. One, I would like to see the same energy that we had for All-Star Weekend for the Utah women's basketball team 
Hell they yeah. are absolutely crushing it. And on Saturday at noon, they're playing Stanford. You can buy a $4 ticket. So like, come on, guys. Bring the fam over to Huntsman. Let's go support these ladies. They are so good. And this is their last game before the Pac-12 championship kicks off in Vegas. So let's like send them off in style, you know? They're awesome. They're so good. So I'm going to do that on Saturday afternoon. And then Saturday night, I'm excited. The Utah Symphony is doing An American in Paris. So they're showing the movie and then they're live scoring it. Oh, have you ever been to one of their live scoring events? They are really, really cool. (laughs) I know. I've never been and I always want to go. And I'm going to go to this one because there's still a lot of tickets and they're pretty affordable. Like you can get tickets for like 35 or 40 bucks in the orchestra. And then if you're under 30, they're half off. I love So it's like symphony. not just a student discount, it's an under 30 discount, which to be clear, I no longer qualify for. But like, if, I know we have listeners that are under 30, so you should go. You're going to have a great time. I know. I'm really excited. It's going to be, it's going to be very posh to go to the symphony. All right. Wow. We covered a lot today. Let's get out of here. I will see you Monday morning. Emily Means bright and early. You bet. See you then. Enjoy your sleep. Thank you. <laughs> That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by local band Mitochondria. We will be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Have a great weekend. Bye.